Hello, how are y'all? Yay! <laughs> what book of the Bible have y'all been going through recently? Exodus. <laughs> no! The book of James? Is that right? So today we're going to begin the last chapter of James, which is chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bible and want to open it, we're in James 5, 1 through 12. Basically, this chapter can be divided into two parts. We can look at verses 1 through 6, where we'll see James giving a strong warning to the rich. And then we can look at verses 7 through 12, where he's talking to those who are suffering and telling them how to have patience during that suffering. So let me ask you this before we read the verses. Is it a sin to be rich? No. Anybody think that it is? No, it is not a sin to be rich. If you look in the Bible, you will see people who had money and were very wealthy in the Bible. Abram or Abraham was wealthy. You can see that in Genesis 13:2. Solomon in 1 Kings 3:13. Job in Job 42:10. And then there was Joseph of Arimathea in Matthew 27. 27. If you want to write some of that down, you can look those up. These were men who were wealthy, and they used their money and gave it generously. They shared what they had. Another person that we can read about in the Bible in Matthew 19, 16 through 22 is the rich young man who wasn't willing to give up his riches. Jesus came to him and said, why don't you give all of your possessions to the poor and come and follow me? And the guy just walked away from Jesus. Nope, can't do that. I'm not willing to do that. That's when money is a sin, when we're not willing to do what Jesus has given it to us to do with. So the problem with wealth is the temptation to begin to trust in our wealth instead of God. It got the best of the rich young man. So these are examples that we can see that it's not a sin to be wealthy or have money, but it's how we decide to use it. So now we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 and see what James had to say to the rich who were handling it the wrong way. And I'll read verses 1 through 6, then we'll go back and look at them. James says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded or rusty. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, notice that exclamation mark. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not even opposing you. So verse 1 is simple. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, if my parents or a teacher said, Now listen, what did I do? I sat up and listened because I knew that I was either in trouble, probably that, 
or that they had something very important that they needed me to hear. So he's saying, now listen, you rich. Let me tell you about the misery that's coming your way. And then in the next few verses, we're going to see where James tells them why misery is coming their way, what they're doing wrong. If we look at verses 2 and 3, we see the words rotted, eaten by moths, and corroded. Some examples of this, if we buy food at the grocery store and we put it in our refrigerator and we just let it sit there, what happens to it? It rots, doesn't it? It gets mold, it gets old, it passes its expiration date, and then we just throw it away. It has not done anyone any good. When we think of clothing, if we buy clothes, I don't know if y'all like to buy a lot of clothes, but if you buy clothes and you take them home and you just put them in a closet, you don't ever take them out, you never wear them, you never wash them, what happens? They're going to get eaten by moths. And then again, they're no good. Things like gold and silver, if they're not taken care of or not polished, they're going to corrode and they're going to get rusty and then they are no good. This is what happens to things when we hoard them. When we take them all in and we don't share them and we don't use them, we just want them for the sake of having them and we keep them for a long period of time. Now, is this saying that we should never save or invest our money? No, we should do that. Is it saying we should never take our family on a vacation? No, it's not saying that. But it's saying that we should keep our hearts in check. We should ask ourselves, are we keeping our money and possessions because we're greedy or selfish? Would we rather put it aside and just let it sit there and corrode than to use it for good? Are we using what God has blessed us with to bless others? When we love things more than we love other people, that's when money is an issue. Then we go to verse 4, and again he says, look, with an exclamation mark. He's confronting the rich here about how they acquire their wealth, how they get their wealth. Here they're getting rich by treating their workers unfairly. They're making them work hard. They're not paying them what they've earned. They're abusing them. Sometimes they're just indifferent. They just don't care. They don't care anything about their needs or them. They're lying. They're cheating. They're making promises that they had no intention of keeping. All set that, so that they could get rich. And that is not right. That's not the correct way to acquire money. And he tells them, God hears you. God hears them. He's, they are reaching the ears of the Lord Almighty. In verse 5, James is talking about living a life of luxury and self-indulgence. You hear the words, living life to the fullest, always wanting more, never being content with what you have, wanting it all just so others will see what you have. That's the downfall to social media. Now everything that we do, we put on social media so people can see what we have. Resenting people because they have more things than we do, bigger things, better things, getting stuff as fast as we can, no matter what we must do or who we must hurt to get it. So having money is not bad. It's when we love it so much that it becomes a distraction and a replacement for God. Lastly, in these verses, in verse 6, we see that the love of money can even cause us to condemn and murder others. 
As we work our way up the ladder, sometimes we get so greedy that we'll run over, knock down, push over whoever we can who gets in our way of getting to where we want to be. Matthew 6, 21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can think back to times in history where this has been true. When we think back to slavery, slavery was used to preserve a way of life for the wealthy, no matter what the cost. People today, migrant workers, they work in sweatshops. They work for low wages, long hours, poor conditions, all the while making someone else wealthy. People, unfortunately, are sex trafficked for money just to make someone else rich. I'm sure we could come up with other ways that money causes people to make bad choices that hurts other human beings. Back in verse 1, James is telling us that we will be judged by God for how we treat others as we acquire and use our money. What does this have to do with y'all? Y'all are in high school. If anything, you're making nothing or minimum wage probably, maybe a little bit more. But you, knew, you do need to go ahead and be thinking about this as you're growing up, getting jobs, that you're using your money the right way. Here's a test to decide if you love money too much. Do you find yourself often thinking about money, how to make more? Is it a topic of conversation between you and your friends and how to make more money or plans on spending money? If you often compare how much you make or the amount of possessions you have with others, either in pride or being envious of what someone else has. Are you stingy and find it hard to give God and other people some of your money or possessions that you've been blessed with? If you love spending money and find a thrill in buying expensive items just because you can. If at work you are scheming for ways to get a promotion or always thinking about changing to a better paying job. In other words, you're never satisfied. But the thing is, money and possessions are temporary. Jess talked about this uh, two weeks ago. It's temporary. It comes and it goes. You can't take it with you. And so we need to focus on eternal things, not on the temporary. So now we're going to move into verses 7 through 12. Have you ever struggled with restlessness in your life? Grumbled or complained when God didn't operate according to your timing? I know I want things done and I want them done now. But God doesn't always have that plan. He doesn't always want it done. Maybe not at all, but maybe not on my timing. None of us like to wait. We can think about the DMV waiting in line, lines at the amusement park, waiting to turn 16 so we could drive, waiting on that cute guy to ask us out, wondering why it seems like people can be mean or do us wrong and never pay for it. And we see that in verses 1 through 6 where we're talking about the rich. We want things right away, and this is what James is going to be addressing in verses 7 through 12, patience. We're going to look at a few ways that we deal with trials and suffering. The first one is me. This is my favorite. Fix it. This is what I always want to do. I want to fix it. When y'all come to me and tell me things, when my kids come to me and tell me things, I just want to fix it right then. But that's not the way that works, is it? I want to find a resolution. When sometimes God just says, wait, instead of me taking matters into my own hands. 
Sometimes we want to forget it, sweep it under the rug, run as fast as we can, push it down, act like it never happened, but that builds resentment and bitterness, so that's not the right way either. Sometimes we fake it. Anybody in here ever fake it? You put a smile on your face and you come in here on Sundays or you go to school and you act like everything is just fine when it's really not, when really what we need to do is talk about it and pray about it. And then some people fold it. You fold your cards, you say, I give up, you wallow in self-pity, and that doesn't fix anything either. So in verse 7, one thing that James tells us is the Lord's coming, and then he tells about the farmer. If you know anything about farming, farmers work hard. They till the land, they plant the seed, and then they have to wait on it to grow. They have to have patience. A lot of times the weather comes along, hail, storms, drought, and there's absolutely nothing that they can do about that. And so they just wait, and they have patience, waiting on God to produce the crop. So that's what he means when he's talking about the farmer, just waiting patiently. In verse 8, again, he says the Lord's coming is near. So he's stressing to these people who are struggling the Lord will return, and he says to be patient and stand firm. In other words, establish your heart, strengthen your heart, stand firm when you're in the middle of trouble. I think about concrete. When people are pouring concrete, they can kind of work it and make it look like they want it to work, make it go where they want it to go until it hardens. And then once it's hardened, it doesn't move. We need our hearts to be established like that so that nothing can move our hearts or change the way that we feel. We don't establish our hearts in the middle of a trial. We do it before by praying, reading the Bible, spending time with other Christians, and we remind ourselves of what God has promised and we trust him in our trouble. No matter how bad things get, we need to let our hearts never be changed with how we feel about God. We will remember that every wrong will be made right. Our pain is temporary and Jesus will return. And then in verse, in verse 9, he warns us about grumbling or complaining. When we grumble and complain, we become ungrateful. We become selfish. We have trouble trusting in what God has said. We need to be content with what we have. And we need to remember that all things are in God's control and timing. Then in verse 10, he talks about the prophets. The prophets suffered because they followed what God said and they were, they were strong enough and they would go to people and say, you're not living the way that God wants you to live. So they spoke to a sinful, sinful generation. Because of that, they were persecuted, killed, ignored, rejected. But James says that they were blessed. We can use them as an example to have patience in our suffering and trust God. Then in verse 11, he talks about Job. If we know anything about Job, Job was very wealthy, lost everything, everything that he had, even lost his children. Now, suffering is not new. When we think back to the Old Testament, we think about the Israelites. When we think to the New Testament, Jesus suffered. We can think back through history with the Great Depression, wars, we can think about all kind of stuff where people have suffered. 
we're tempted to believe that we're living in a time where it's just the worst times and nobody has ever had it as bad as we have, but every generation has suffered and we don't like it. Job's wife even told him, curse God and die. How would you like for your wife or husband later on to tell you that? Curse God and die. Thankfully, Job didn't listen to her, and he remained patient and steadfast. And in the end, in Job 42:12, it says, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than he did the first. So we need to remember that God is in control, and he will provide. And then finally, in verse 12, he talks about not swearing. Now, this isn't necessarily curse words. This is saying, I swear to God, or as God is my judge. We need to live in such a way that people trust our character. They believe what we say. When we say it, they think that it's true. They know that it's true because we, they know that we're truthful. They see how we treat others. They see us keep our word. They know that our yes is our yes and our no is our no. If you tell someone you're going to do something, do it so that they trust you. So our speech, our reputation, how we treat others, and how we use our money are all a window to our heart. I'm going to show you five people. They were missionaries. So there were five missionaries who lived in Ecuador back in the 1950s. They left everything. They left their families, their possessions. They left everything to go and be missionaries in the jungles of Ecuador. They lived there for a few years, and they eventually wanted to reach a group of people they called them the AUKUS, which meant savages. That's how bad these people were. They were considered savages. And anyone who tried to go into their land where they lived, they would die. They would just kill them. So Nate Saint, who was a pilot, he flew himself and these four missionaries over where these people lived. And they constantly flew over. As they would fly over, they would drop a basket of food or they would drop a basket of gifts. And what they were trying to do was earn the trust of these savages, of these people. Now, one day they went over and the people put a gift back in the basket and sent it back up to the plane. So they thought, okay, that's good. They trust us. They sent us a gift back. We feel like we've done enough to where we've earned their trust. And so eventually they flew in and they landed where these people lived. They sat there for days and over days people would kind of come and they would go and they would come and look at them and they'd go. And they kept thinking eventually they're going to come and see us and then we're going to, you know, tell them about Jesus. One day out of the bush came this whole tribe of people with spears and they speared all five of these guys to death just killed them. What's so neat about this story other than they were willing to leave everything and they knew it was dangerous. They even had a gun but they had already agreed that they would not kill anyone. They could have saved their lives but they didn't. And so what's so neat about this is Jim Elliott, his wife Elizabeth Elliott and their young daughter Rachel Saint, who was the sister of Nate Saint, they prayed about it and decided they were going to go back and witness to this tribe that had killed their family members. So they went back, and because of that, we'll show the next picture. Let's go to the next one. We'll come back to that one. 
This is Nate Saint's son and one of the tribe members who killed his father when he was five years old. But they went back in, they shared Jesus with this tribe, and eventually a lot of them came to know Jesus. He lived, Steve lived with this tribe for years. He lives in Florida now. He and his wife have moved to Florida. Let's go to the next picture. This is Elizabeth Elliot, who two years before her husband had been speared to death. Her little girl, and all of that is the children of the tribe that killed her husband and the father of this little girl. Now we'll go back and we'll see what Nate put in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? So he knew that what he was giving up, he was going to lose anyway because it's temporal. But when we do things that we cannot lose when we think about God and when we think about sharing him with others, giving up what we have, that's the true meaning of life. So here we see the perfect example of giving up everything, not, not counting on our wealth, not counting on our positions, continuing to trust God and being patient in our suffering. If anyone's ever been patient in their suffering, it was Elizabeth Elliot, because I don't think I could have done what she did. But because of that, um, many people in this tribe now believe in Jesus. This is the book, End of the Spear, by um, Steve Saint, the the man who was in this picture. And he said, when I was a boy, I cried, but now I see it well. So he went through his suffering and he eventually realized why he went through what he went through. So it's also a movie. If you're not a book reader, you can watch the movie about it. We're going to pray and we're going to go to small group. And um, I enjoy speaking to y'all. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this group of students. I thank you that we're able to hear today from James how we can use our money wisely and how we can uh, just go to you in our suffering and have patience while we're suffering. I pray that you would help us to have good discussion in a small group and just um, help us to have a good week. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen.